I hope I haven't ruined that for you. You have. It, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was a bucket list thing. Yeah, yeah. It you shattered dream, me. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rooting Around podcast, a podcast where we normally talk about countries around the world. But today we're not. I'm Kevin. I'm Ed. I'm Dan, again. Yeah, we're back. When, you, when you're in the jungle a lot and you're lying there awake in the morning where the rainforest is like... <sighs> listen to me! <laughs> you listen to a few sounds and you, like, go a bit nuts. What bird is that? Screaming peeha. Same bird? It's a toucan. <laughs> oh, nice. They're really annoying. In Guyana, they call them yapping dogs. <laughs> All day. All day. It's like the gulls just boo, boo, when they're, when they're that's young. Quite, that's quite dainty. That's quite nice. It kind of makes you realise how lovely the dawn chorus is in the UK when you go to other places. Yeah, the jungle is like, well, to be fair, it's so weird. So it's very loud, very loud, very constant, very, very constant and loud. And you just tune it out. After a while, like, you just don't hear it. That's just what the sound is. But yeah. it's, if you actually, like sit and think what am i listening to it's you go whoa it's really intense there's it's, at least 20 yeah. things that can kill me the jungle <laughs> is really attention seeking <laughs> <laughs> have you been uh have you heard the australian morning chorus uh i have now it's horrendous weird <laughs> all the parrots just lorikeets i think they're oh, called yeah. very annoying we were in a hotel and there was a tree um and there was like a light on the tree like a street lamp that just probably tricked these birds into thinking it's the day all the time and so all through the night they were like ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there was um went to a place in melbourne called it's a sanctuary place and i was chatting to the to the guide and uh a blackbird just ran past his feet and i was like do you have blackbirds here? And he said the Europeans introduced them because they disliked the sounds, the sounds of the Aussies so much. Aww. So they brought over lovely blackbirds. Invasive species. I they love it down there, don't they? Sorry? In Australia, they love invasive species. Oh, yeah. God. They, yeah. It's destroyed everything. What, they've got like rats now, obviously. Cats. All those mice. Yeah. Mice the, yeah, yeah. The, the 4,000 mice <laughs> that yeah, tried yeah. to attack us. <laughs> I was fine. There was only a hundred of them, so... Yeah. <laughs> and you said, I have now about Australia. Oh, yeah, because Giants, the series. We went, we did one episode on Great White Sharks, um, oh. not with a dawn chorus, because it was like, there, were, there wasn't much of a dawn chorus there, except waves. <laughs> um, and then in Darwin, which was a, it's a kooky place. You did the sharks in Darwin? No, we did the sharks down south in Neptune Islands, where the seals were pupping. So they were all like, real excited to eat those. And then we did the crocs in Darwin. Did I say Darwin twice? Neptune Islands down ne south. Mm, south. Um, Darwin That's up Adelaide north. way, isn't it? Port yeah. Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Port, we just we left from Port Lincoln, yeah. It's a lovely part so of the world. For Giants, how many places did you go to? We went to um, Kenya, Botswana, South Africa, um, Australia and Brazil. Five yeah, places. and circumnavigated the world on, on our travels, which was awesome. That is incredible. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. So you did the two... Giants in Australia with the crocs and the... Great white sharks. sharks. And then Africa.
African elephants, lions, and anacondas, and then brought back their extinct ancestors in situ when we found them. So anaconda, we brought back with CGI, the Titanoboa lion, the American cave lion, um, elephant, Paleoloxodon nomadicus. But we're um, going to have to go back because I want to find out more about each of these things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Great White Shark, Megalodon, obviously, and Sarcosuchus Imperata for the crocodile, which wasn't actually a crocodilian, but one of the biggest crocodilomorphs that's ever existed. No clue what you just said. Oh, so um, (laughs) there were big crocodiles, really big crocodilians, but Sarcosuchus Imperata was before crocodiles had really formed. It's a crocodiliform, so it looked like it had the same relative body formation of a crocodile, but it wasn't actually that related to crocodiles, but still a relative. Mm. But yeah, looked kind of the same. That's what's so cool about crocodiles. They look basically the same in like... Their appearance is basically the same and as it has been for hundreds of millions of years. It's, uh, sim- it's the same bad. with sharks, isn't it? Mm. Like with the great whites anyway. Yeah. I mean, one of the criticisms that people say is that Megalodon, you often see it as a really big great white, but actually it probably did look quite different, but mm. basically the same body formation because they're so perfect. They've literally evolved to into that niche and it's the perfect. The water stays the same. So I guess... It's like the perfect yeah. apex predator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's, cra- it's crazy. To imagine sharks that big, though, that could have like eaten a fully grown orca in three bites or, or like fit a contorted orca in its tummy or like a very comfortable cow. <laughs> <laughs> the or- orca, one thing that I am completely in love with, but also absolutely terrified by... Mm. Really clever, yeah. Psychopathic killing machines. They're like wolves, like the way that they hunt in packs, but with even smarter. Tactics. But you're so super scared of them, right? But there's yeah. never, I don't think, ever in history been a recorded case of an orca killing a person in the wild. No, I don't think it's always in. Yeah, it's always. A, yeah, it's like weirdly when <laughs> we it. trap them in yeah. tiny cages. Um, but like, yeah, and everyone's like really afraid of these things. But mm. like. They're um, kicking off in Spain at the minute, though, aren't oh, they? Really? Orcas. Why? Yeah, they're attacking boats. Whoa! Yeah, they're, I saw that. Yeah. There's orcas in Spain. Yeah, there's I orcas think, in the UK. There's I, orcas in the UK. Yeah, you can go up to <laughs> Shetland. One of great places to spot them. I think aren't they one of I the think most? I have known that actually, but <laughs> the Spain one just surprises me for some reason. I think I think they're one of the most widely populated. Cetaceans. Cetaceans, that might be. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're found all over the place. And yeah. they have amazing different, like, niche um, feeding strategies. That's why I think so cool. And you can see so much of their intelligence through it. Like the fact that they're attacking boats. They know what to do. The fact that off the south coast of uh, Africa, they uh, have now driven away the great white sharks because uh, yeah. they grab the fins on either side, rip it apart and pull out the, uh, the, the liver. Because um, sharks, unlike other fish, f- fish have swim bladders and it helps them with their buoyancy in water. And um, sharks don't have that ability to regulate their buoyancy through a swim bladder. They do it through their liver. And through the way they do it is through high fat content so a a a third of a shark's entire body can be its liver because of the fat content of it and the orcas know that and it's real calorific real tasty so they find sharks they rip them open and they eat the liver and And they've been doing that and they don't eat the rest they don't yeah they just leave it Um, and they've been doing that so all the sharks have been driven away from south africa at the moment um but then you go up to norway and they're obligate fish eaters they 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 they, oh, they just eat herring and stuff. Yeah, the herring, herring specialists, and then wow. there's the salmon specialists of Vancouver. That it's yeah, it's really interesting. 
They are I'm so fascinated by them. Mm. Like the ones in Norway, I really want to do. There's the snorkeling trip you can do up there. I know. Can you still do that? I don't I know if you can so. actually get in the water with them anymore. Oh, can you not? Because I wanted to do it as well. Uh, and I looked yeah. up and I, maybe you can. Not sure, but I think maybe not. I'm going to find that I out. I hope I haven't ruined that for you. You have. It was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a bucket list thing. Yeah, it, it, it shattered dream, me. <laughs> well, I'm sure you could, like, illegally do it. Uh, yeah, go and, go <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, not with those. Please don't go swimming with an orca just like that. Just like for a little bit. Do you know what is a scary animal that legitimately has done something that makes it scary? I think it's the scariest animal alive today. You said on the last episode about me not wanting to meet something, but I actually do want to meet this thing I'm deathly afraid of. Um, the leopard seal. Oh, my God. Have we talked about this? I think we, might I think have. we have, yeah. yeah. So I think it was in the early 2000s, mid-2005, I'm not entirely sure. There was a research biologist, uh, this lady, very talented. I think I can't remember what she was studying out there. But anyway, they got in the water and uh, leopard seal turns up. It's like, all right, mate, grabs her, drags her like 200 uh, feet in down down into the ocean and um or 200 meters actually i think it was and uh imagine the terror obviously she didn't survive which is awful you'd probably um, get narcosis on the way down and just be you, like your ears pop and everything I, I, god knows what happened but imagine it Pressure. just like seeing it and being like that's a leopard seal and then it grabbing your leg and be like it's grabbed my leg and then how quickly which is like you die probably quite huge, fast right um yeah they're like well, you wrote the book about how... how oh, we how don't to... have them. <laughs> we don't have them. Um, a car. A car. Let's like go with that, yeah. yeah. Or a yeah. gouge. A thin car. A thin car. Yeah. Aerodynamic, like a Lambo or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, like... but Bertie <laughs> Gregory, in his latest series, got in the water with them, which... Have you had Bertie on this? No, 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 not yet. He'd be a good one to get. Yeah. He's got some stories, hasn't he? Sam Stewart, the guy that I oh, went yeah. to go and visit last week, He um, he's one of the camera guys oh on really on epic adventures. epic adventures that looks like I've such really a cool project enjoyed, really enjoyed watching it ah it's so cool i love the the eagle when they're i just i love oh that was that access. was sam climbing up and yeah so cool. up. Yeah, really yeah. that's so cool i love that stuff i love watching it. that that's the that's my ideal type of wildlife show yeah. just watching the adventures of how they did it well it is it's, it's mm. the making of but just an hour long yeah, yeah. it's, it's about people cool. again like yeah. doing, going on adventures which again, great segue. <laughs> I've got a little question for you. What's the most like unusual job you've done, like abroad, like having to go on an adventure for one Ooh. specific like job? Maybe you were tracking one specific mm. animal or weirdest. I want to say something weird. I mean, I feel like every mission I go to the Amazon, I've got a weird personal mission, which is to get a bot fly larvae. Have you had one? No, I've been what? going. I've been going for years, right? <laughs> and I'm the only fucking person that wants it. And really every time like I'm on one. an expedition, some wanker gets the bot fly in his leg or his face. 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 Is that where you want it? I know. I don't what? care where it is. I want to grow it to full term. For those that full don't term. know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give birth to a fly. Why would... For those that don't know, a bot fly larvae is, a, is the maggot of a fly, a big jungle fly. Um, and... 
They're amazing. They catch mosquitoes, lay them on the underside of the mosquitoes so that they fly around and then they land on things and the heat makes them drop and the eggs burrow in and that's where the maggot lives. Or they put them on the edge of leaves on animal trails so when the animal walks past and rustles the leaf, the trip falls down. Yeah, they're so clever. They're clever little flies. And then they burrow in and the little maggot goes, oh, I'm going to make my home in here and I'm going to eat your flesh. And then it gets in there and it starts eating away. Chomp, 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 chomp. And then it grows really big. And if you don't have like a bit of Vaseline and some sellotape to suffocate it, it will grow to a inch and a half long and really big and wide with its barbed little hooks at the bottom that help it stay inside until it pupates and comes out uh, which is kind of gross but like how cool would that be to film I, I'm it's it'd something... be cool to film I wouldn't enjoy it having it on my body to be totally honest with you I've extracted of... a few from people but my favourite extraction of all time which is now available on my social media was done <laughs> <laughs> which was done by my friend Josie so I went out there my mate Patch who is a biology teacher and he came out to the jungle with me and a, uh, some students uh, on an expedition at some point in the past and um, we got back and Josie messaged me his girlfriend who I don't know if he is and she goes Dan there's something strange in Patch's face we thought it was a spot but it's got really big and I and I filmed it really close and here's the video sent the video and in the video uh, you can see a little white thing going outside which is actually the maggot's breathing tube that it fires out the end um, and that's how it's breathing um, and I was like oh that's a bot fly you got there babe and turned out that actually it wasn't alone but it had a friend and right next to it was another one and there were two of them going boop 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 and you boop, got breathing. To... no I didn't get to I coached Josie through the process um, of what she needed to do and they suffocated it and uh, then they squeezed it out and um, it's available on my on my Instagram available I, I don't know <laughs> now, why out now on my Instagram <laughs> I don't know why but I I have often gone down the the route of bot flies and then onto whatever else. Gets oh yeah, bots. mango worms. <laughs> it's like Doctor Pimple Popper, which I'm obsessed with. Mm. Like, I don't know what it is. It's gross. I don't want them myself. I don't want to pop anyone else's zits. But I find it weirdly alluring to watch it. It's strange because you see like something really gross, and I'm like. Ah! And I go straight back and yeah, watch yeah. The- I need to see the rest of it. <laughs> like when they, when they, uh, typically the botfly larvae often, for some reason, love to be on top of your head. Probably because they drip down from things and they end up there. They shave it away, and there's these giant. Oh my god, you have got to do it. Go and look up botfly extractions. It is just a great afternoon spent. So would you say it's better to, to be bot- bold, or it's better to not be bold because the extraction is then easier? I think, um, well, you're going to have to be bold to get it out anyway, because you're not going to Vaseline but, the top of your head with some hair on it, are you? But are you more protected if you've got hair? I don't think so, no. Okay, so better to be bold. They no, because they're, they've evolved, obviously, to go into the uh, fur of animals. Oh, so true, yeah. so actually, it's probably quite quite nice purchase for them. I reckon <laughs> if you're bold, you're probably more protected, actually. Because like, yeah, it, 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 it'll fall off. Yeah, probably more likely. I would love to see a time lapse of one entering and then seeing the skin grow. Yeah. Imagine staying there for that long. Yeah. Two weeks without moving. Just like that. <laughs> Is that how long it takes? Two weeks, yeah. Two weeks until full term. And that's what you want to do. I want it so bad. It's really painful, though, because they're uh, eating you. But uh, they're amazing animals. Not only do they do those incredible behaviors by catching mosquitoes in some cases or like laying their eggs in specific spots, but they also produce um, antibiotics. So the hole that they live in is is defended against infection while they're in there. So it's like really cool. Nature's so cool. Yeah. But also Nature, so you're crazy terrifying. and real gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the UK and in Europe a lot. We seem to be so sheltered from... Animals mm. are a bit crazy. 
because what do we have here that is like we've got that? parasitic wasps that go inside caterpillars mm. yeah that's a we bad that's the first time I hear about there that there's been so. a lot of things that were bad like biological agents but the bubonic plague was pretty shit <laughs> it's, it's fucking mice um, it wasn't ideal, great yeah. but now we obviously have antibiotics that go against mm. that and then there was smallpox which killed a huge number of people I think it killed Queen Mary the second Queen Mary the something um, Queen Mary but we did have those things but we just killed it all well, I think we're the 18th most nature depleted country in the world that was one thing I wanted to ask you oh. as well was that you go away to all of these incredible wild bizarre places but there's not a lot apart from wild isles there's not a lot of focus on the UK mm. is there some, a story that you'd like to tell about the UK or something you want to stick around for yeah, there's these great parasitic wasps that like live in <laughs> In your back garden. <laughs> yeah, in your back garden. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some wicked stuff in the UK that I would love to, to do projects on. I, there's like species that have naturalized here that I just don't see stuff on. There's eagle owls nesting in the UK. European eagle owls. Yeah, and I want to see them. I want to go and see some eagle owls. We don't see enough about bats. Like I've worked on a lot of bat catching projects in like the Amazon specifically. And it's amazing when you go out at night and you catch bats in a net and you see the diversity of them. They're our most diverse group of mammals in the UK, but lots of people don't even realize that we have bats here. Um, so I'd like to see more on that. Mm. But really the UK is tough. I mean, I grew up traveling. Like we moved to America, we moved all over the place. And I think I have always had that bug. So for me, I've been a, like inspired by things far away. Mm. So finding that love of British nature has come later to me. And going to places like Skokum off Skomer Island was really cool. Finding ways to have an adventure in the UK, I think that would be cool. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd love to like, hike across the Cairngorms or something. Yeah, that'd be incredible. I've still never been to the Shetlands. I'd, I'd love to get up there. Mm. I've only been once to do an event. What kind of event? Wilderland Film Festival. My film festival I founded doing my masters all when right oh, let's go what? back yeah went film out there festivals. To, yeah when made you do that well we were making these films at uni and all of these like amazing student films made by incredible filmmakers were like they're never being seen by the public they were going on uh youtube channels and not being like shared and we were like me and my friend isaac rice who i founded the company with we were like why don't we just take a number of these films the best ones that we could find whether student or independent um short films put them all together in an evening show from like 7.30 until 10 with an interval and like showcase loads of conservation messages through these independent films that would never be on TV because conservation is so hard to get commissioned. Mm. Um, and we did two tours and we're uh, on hiatus now, but I'll, I'll be doing another tour in the future with it. Is it just in the UK that you do it? Or are you? Yeah. That's awesome. At the moment. I mean, yeah. one day it'd be great to do it further afield, but mm. yeah. And there's... So while we're on the UK, sorry, I've, we, we dipped into film festivals, but we spoke about thylacines in the last episode. Mm. I've been seeing a lot of reports recently, more reports than I ever have about the big cats <laughs> that we've got in the UK. <laughs> the dream. The dream indeed. Uh, apparently this is the best evidence they've got and it's actual panther fur. Where? On a fence. Where the hell is that? Right now, tell me where it is. It's, where is it? It was in I'm the West Country. Up. And then there's a video that a woman got of a large black thing in the tree it had a long okay. tail one one thing i'll say on that is why is the picture never good yeah. people have Same great the phones they've got great <laughs> three cameras on your phone right now yeah. why and also like like what they're like oh yeah what? every phone's got stabilization now there's zero excuse so they found fur like confirmed fur yeah 
I think it was in Bristol Live that that posted that. But, you know, the Guardian aren't going to post about Panthers in the West Country. So where was this found, the West Country? Yeah. But could there be something to be said about, uh, just wondering, someone obviously found this fur, right? So did this person who found the fur have a history of looking for cats like this? Because if they did, could they not have just gone to Bristol to, to... Bristol, Bristol Zoo, <laughs> and picked up a bit of fur from the from the tiger cage, and put it in the woods. I hope so. Could they have? Because I love the uproar. I but really like, do. It makes me upset because I do actually want there to be a wild tiger wandering around the woods. Well, do I? Um, I like the romanticised yeah. image of it, but I just, I unfortunately just don't think that they would. I don't think a, a cat. I don't think a cat would a have understanding of the prey as well as. Uh, the ability to stay hunting said prey, um, finding its prey source outside of humans. Mm. I don't think it would understand that it would need to hide at all costs from humans. So I think within a very short space of time, any big cat would come into at least one person with a good ability to take a picture's uh, <laughs> image. Do you know what Dog I mean? Walker, Rather than just, just always the weird lady who can't take the, the, the photo well. It's like, oh! You yeah. get one of the windy... Yeah, yeah, yes, like Super Eight. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would love it though. Where, where's there enough space for a big cat to to run? Who, who was it on the podcast who said they are? Is it Bison in Kent? No, Jack. 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 Do you know Jack Perks, the fish twitcher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came on before. He's a cool, good old mate. Um, Yeah, and there's Bison bison in Kent. Kent, like wild, like. They're reintroducing them, aren't they? Oh, that's yeah. wicked. We had a beaver in the centre of town. I saw that. that in the was, river. That was awesome. I lost my shit. That was... Yeah. <laughs> it's about 200 metres from my house. That's so cool. Super exciting. I Did love you rewilding. Did you see the, uh, I no. love rewilding stuff like that. I d- it's, it's happening. It's amazing. It's really good for the ecosystem. I can't... I really want to get to a position where people aren't afraid of animals like lynx. They used to be in this country. We should have them in this country. They're meant to be here. They've piloted, like... Uh, the conversations around, they've thought about piloting it in in Kielder Forest by having like six I think they wanted to bring back just do it there's, there's, so not, there's not many predators here there's not no, many big predators we need predators we've got mm. such a like there's so many deer it's a problem you know there's deer culling we have an issue with it and people don't like culling bring back the predators mm. a lynx is not going to kill like is not going to come after you yeah it might come after your dog <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're going to lose a dog though you'd it's unlikely though. Yeah. They'll find they will they'll they don't want to come along near people. Well, yeah, lynx they are get small. Scared. They hunt rabbits. Have you seen a lynx in person? In um, <laughs> have you met a lynx? <laughs> <laughs> you what said that so name? formally. Yeah, have you met have you met a lynx? With lynx, I've seen a lynx. I've never in the wild seen one. I'd love to. Uh, only in captivity, mm. I'd love to see one in the wild. Yeah, have you? Cool. no, no, amazing animals though. I've never seen one in a zoo. What's the animal you've seen that is the least likely to be seen by a human? Philippine eagle. Okay. We hiked, We went up. We hiked up a mountain. Uh, we blacked out the cars because it was in a politically uh, turbulent area where the forests are occupied by rebel groups. There's like a, in Mindanao in the Philippines. You don't people don't really go on holiday to Mindanao. It's a red red zone. There are there's there's some quite extreme like ISIS affiliate kind of. Uh, situations far down south and as alongside them there are like rebel groups against the government in forests so it's quite a, it's turbulent but those forests have very high populations uh comparatively of you know the national bird the 
Philippine eagle, this great big bird, but no one ever sees them because there are so few of them left in the world. They're, I think they are the most endangered large raptor in the world. There's um, 400 breeding pairs across the entire Philippine archipelago and only 30 in captivity in one place. And I think there's on, a pair on loan to Singapore Zoo but they're really, really endangered. And there was a radio collared one that was in this little forest. And we hiked up a mountain, blacked out car, drove to this mountain, went up in the middle of the night to not get too much attention on us. Uh, saw the Philippine eagle in the morning. It was amazing. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And uh, then got down really quickly in the morning and, and, and went away. But that was such a cool thing. You can watch that. That's uh, Queen of Birds on my YouTube channel. <laughs> nice. Uh, you can watch that whole film about the whole process and then us finding it at the end. But but that's probably the hardest, uh, the rarest. But I, uh, I mean, the snow leopard's close. Uh, but I would say, actually, we found that because it had a collar on. It had a, a radio tracking backpack on it. The snow leopard was a total one-off. That was the that you, that was just stupid. That was a stupid. Yeah, because if you were to go back to now, <laughs> yeah. you might not even like, no, see no. one. They're so hard to see. Mm. Kuban Shumabai Ulu, the head of the Snow Leopard Foundation in Kyrgyzstan, he'd been up to that reserve sixty like 50 or 60 times. He says this in the doc. 50 or 60 times. He's seen snow leopards three times. You got so lucky. That's crazy. And we went up there with him and saw two on that what? trip. That is... You, wow. The magic of television. Yeah but, yeah, but, yeah, but the thing is, you would think it's like, all oh, bullshit. But actually, like, I didn't know he hadn't seen that many. He, The guy was like, oh, yeah, come, we'll see snow leopards. When, of course, he's seen three he didn't tell me he'd seen three. I wouldn't have come. I wouldn't have come. I'd be like, when is it not going to happen? Anyway, we went up there. We got really lucky. And I've been up there and not seen anything in a longer period of time. So it is like, it's amazing that that happened that first time. And that was my first gig, really. That was the first big thing I did. That's the first project I did on BBC Earth. It was just so, Gavin Boyland. The, um, that was like three years ago. Yeah. It was my first big thing. I'd done lots of my own little projects. I'd been on social media, but that one on BBC Earth with that audience and having and working with Laura Howard and Paul Dean and the other people producing, that was my first big kind of project like that. And it was sort of amazing. It was it was really good, man. Like Oh, thanks so much. I really, really enjoyed it. Hats off to Chris, who's the legend <laughs> behind that. Chris and the Snow Leopard Trust and the local people that made it happen. But I um I love what I love so much about that is it's really in my wheelhouse of who I want to be. Like what I'm most passionate about and what I want to be as a, as a filmmaker and as a presenter is I want to do expeditions. I want to work with local people and tell conservation stories in that kind of journalistic way. That's my dream. And I got to do it with that show. And I've done other projects, which I love and I'm so passionate about and I really wanted to do them and I'm really happy I did them. But that, that style of project is what I want to do. And I want to do that more. Like obviously you've got some stuff in the pipeline that you won't be able to talk about but is there a particular story that you are really dying to tell that you've not um, I'm, I want to I'm not done with Snow Leopard Okay. Um, I, I wanted I work a lot with the Snow Leopard Trust I was literally on the call with them today there's an event coming up for people who want to care, um, engage with Snow Leopard Conservation by the way it's very soon it's next week called Strides for Snow Leopards just look that up and find all of the information it's about going out and running or doing some sort of exercise and supporting Snow Leopard Conservation so you can you can find out about that so do that Strides for Snow Leopards for the Snow Leopard Trust um, but I've got projects coming up with them I'm uh, looking at doing a PhD at the moment I was in the past uh, doing one in lockdown it was very difficult and it didn't work out um, <laughs> but I um, I'm now looking at doing a PhD but deciding on what that is so that's a project I'm excited about uh, and in a week I'm going to Honduras for best part of two months to work as an ornithologist on a 
research expedition, catching and ringing tropical forest birds um, in the cloud forests of up in the highlands, which will be really, really exciting. And I can't wait. But we're also doing a bit of camera trapping there because it's a really critically important corridor for jaguars moving up into the uh, Selva Maya. Uh, through Central America, which is the largest, second largest forest in that part of the world. Um, really big jaguar population up there in, in Yucatan, Mexico. Um, really big population in, in South America. But for the gene flow between them, they've got to go through Central America. And these little forest pockets mm. in countries like Honduras are really important to conserve because otherwise you're going to separate those mm. populations. So we're looking at that too. And how, how far north do they go? Do they go into the States or are they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- there are r- there are accounts of jaguars in the states. I think Texas. I heard there was an account, but there are that they, they are they do go in. Mm. Trump's wall very... is not not that good then. <laughs> no, it's not jaguar no, proof. Not at all. No, not at all. Um, but I mean, they're not the most widely distributed cat in, in uh, the Americas. That's the puma, all the way oh, from Canada. Canada all the way down Canada. to the bottom of Argentina. Oh, wow. Um they they right down to the bottom of Argentina, all the way up to Canada, like Alaska. They are uh, really amazing. Totally in the jungle, in the middle of the rainforest, same species, the middle of the Amazon, pumas, right down cold Argentina like plateaus, pumas right up to the living in in california yeah central la yeah, yeah, yeah and, and central la <laughs> what an amazing right? animal right what an incredible in the everglades what an amazing animal and they're all the same all the same species yeah are they are, are they what puma concolor are they what americans call mountain lions yeah mountain lion puma cougar all the same 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 yeah damn did you see the cougar guy video with it following up the track the kyle I oh my god yeah name. where he's like where he's shouting at him hey like, buddy hey kitty <laughs> get. yeah and it's like whoosh, whoosh. yeah yeah what an terrible. experience i want that experience for me mm-hmm. so if you could do your ideal trip you've got like five years you can go anywhere do basically a trip around the world which animals are you tracking um i'm obsessed with jaguars i've been obsessed with this the first cat that was like really sparked my interest the amazon's my core um uh I'm obsessed with all big cats. I love big cats, but jaguars, I've got one tattooed on my arm. I searched for them for eight years and I didn't see one. And I planned my first big expedition 300 miles into the Amazon with the sole purpose of finding a jaguar and went to this really, really remote river called the Rewa, which I subsequently took Chris up to shoot um, a documentary and I'm looking to go up again. And I saw my first jaguar on that trip and it was the most transformative experience of my life. You can see jaguars relatively easily in the Pantanal and typically when you go, a lot of them are collared or you can see people like taking, um, you can hear in the background of clips when they see jaguars like hunting caiman or other animals, you hit (laughs) because they're, they're so habituated in the Pantanal that like, People see them relatively easily. But there is a different experience seeing a jaguar in the remote, truly wild rainforest because it it just doesn't happen. They're so hard to spot. They're so hard to, to find. And you have to put in so much work to get that experience. But it's nothing like it. It doesn't look like that habitat in, in, in the Pantanal that you see those typical shots in. And you and there's no footage of it because very few people have ever like got been there with those good cameras. You don't see those towering rainforest trees like dark gloomy rocks underneath the canopy with jaguars walking out onto them it's so so hard to see and that's what my sort of like that's really gets me going that that experience like going around the corner in like a really remote river 300 miles into the amazon and seeing a jaguar sat on a black rock 
that's like my dream and and up in Guyana those are the experiences you can have and it's like it just feels like you're going back in time to a world that doesn't exist and and in a way it it, it is because up in those furthest reaches you're portaging waterfalls on one of these rivers I portage six waterfalls um with our like like seven of us um and when you get to the furthest reaches no one goes up there. The indigenous people don't go up there. There's no reason for them to put all the work in to go up mm. there to fish when they can fish downstream. They don't They don't bother going. So you get up there and the animals don't know what humans are. So they're not afraid of them. We filmed 21 tapirs on one of my trips up there. An animal you never see. They're so shy around human habitation. Um, but they didn't know what we were. So they weren't that afraid. They just then, chill. Yeah, and so, yeah, really close to monkeys, capybara. They're, it's a different world. It's like before animals were afraid of humans, what would it have been like? Well, you go there and you witness what it is. Wow. Yeah, because Chris went into a bit of detail about Guyana, but again, he couldn't reveal too much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, Chris. But how how did all of that go? Obviously, portaging, what, seven, did you say? Seven yeah, six, seven, seven, some smaller ones. Yeah, uh, right to the headwaters of the Rewert, a really amazing river that I've been obsessed with for years and years um, to basically showcase how beautiful this place is and bring back, like, footage of what's up there. Um, the dock does that. I mean, you see, we got really close to otters, really close to tapirs. We camera trapped around our camp at the headwaters and we got jaguars, puma. Um, we got, I mean, it was, yeah, spectacular. It was spectacular. We actually saw a jaguar as well, but we, we didn't film it in time. <laughs> oh, no. That's Chris's I know, fault. I know, it Is wasn't that Chris's fault. No, no, it's so funny. It, it came around and he was like, oh, a capybara. It's like, it's not a capybara. Oh, it's in the bush now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, but that's the thing. Like you see this stuff on the film and there's the way things are edited, but like you can't, it's so hard to to just, you have to experience it. Like it's, it's amazing. Do you think you will eventually do like a, like a consumer type trip? I'm doing one people? in December. I'm taking people in December. Oh, to Guyana. Well, that, that was easy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you want to uh, email me on my website, danoneal.tv um and yeah no I'm, I'm doing my first kind of trip in guyana with people but i'm going to be growing that and uh doing more i think i'm going to focus on guyana for a while but yeah no I'm yeah focus on what you love mm. it seems like you're very well connected to that place. it's just cool it's it's expensive it's hard to get around but it's just yeah i want people to feel how i feel about it because mm. everyone i've ever taken there feels the same way yeah chris is totally converted yeah, and yeah, hasn't shut up about it yeah, whenever yeah. i talk to him. it's magic it's honestly magic um, they say if you drink river water and eat labber, you'll never stop coming to Guyana. And I've done both of those things. And labber is a forest rat that um, is a big delicacy for the, many of the indigenous communities. Chris mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. And we went out at night. It's all in Last Eden. So when you can watch it, it, you'll see this. But we went out with Neville, who's the most amazing <laughs> bow hunter in the world. And he literally i can't neville's a legend i don't know how he did it i could barely even see the animal that he was shining a light on but they go out at night and they shine a torch on to get eye shine and dazzle uh the rodent and then he fired his arrow at it right into the, what looked like to me just the dark um and then this giant great big forest rat um just lurched out fell in the water and he dispatched it because he'd hit it so perfectly that it killed it instantly oh my god um and we ate that rat and it was really good it's really good. So what's the, guilty, the good. best and worst food you've tried? Oh, in your travels? there we go. Um, Lab is a weird one. 
it's it's strange like eating something like that because you feel weird you feel a bit strange like you're going there but it's the way of life of many of these people Um, worst thing i've eaten and i'm really upset that i ate it was again in guyana and i didn't mean to but there's this there's one road that cuts from georgetown the capital city to the coast and the only way to um to travel through the country really is in uh, other than little bush planes to go on that road and i think it's called kilometer 58 there's just a place called Kilometer 58. And there's a shack that sells food, mystery food. And I ate some mystery food there, which was really tasty. And I found out afterwards that it was a day beer. Oh, no. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> and I ate the day beer. Oh, no. And there was another time I was in Cambodia and I ate a dog. Oh, wow. Did you yeah. not know before? I knew. I knew. <laughs> yeah. No, because it was someone was eating food. And I was really hungry, and they were eating it behind the bar. I'm going to get cancelled for this. Um, and uh, I was like, "What are you eating?" That they were like, "Oh, do you want some curry?" And I was like, "Oh, I'd love some curry. What is it?" And he was like, "It's dog." And I was like, "Oh, oh, dog curry." But I had this because I always think like you know it's important to try new things and yeah, experience 100%. different cultures and it's the culture there and it's you all know, perspective yeah yeah and i'm not a vegan so i feel like you know um it's important yeah anyway and more so these days but back then i wasn't mm. and i uh i ate the dog and it was it just tasted like lamb yeah. like curried lamb but yeah that's pretty bad and the best thing you said yeah best, but, thing yeah, I've ever best and worst tape here <laughs> it was really good <laughs> it was so cute it's just those tiny eyes that they're best thing. How, wait, sorry. Lou. The tape here. How did it come? Like, how was it served? It was just in a... Um, it was like chicken fried. It's like fried chicken okay. kind of thing. Like, you know, just battered and deep fried. It was really good. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, David. Uh, no, the we, the best thing, um, Lou, there's this like plant. It grows up a palm tree um, in the remote jungle. And we were out there and Josie, uh, one of the indigenous guys, spotted it. And he's like, ooh, Lou. And chopped chopped it out, chopped the tree down to get the Lou at the top, which is like this weird little palm berry. Uh, looks kind of like grapes, like dark red grapes, but uh, it isn't uh, at all. And when you cook it down and mix it with water, it gets really milky and um, expecting that. tastes like chocolate milk. And when you and then you put sugar in it and it literally tastes like chocolate milkshake, but like hot. And when we were in the middle of the jungle and not had any real like sweet sugar or anything like that, or chocolate, it was the tastiest thing that I've ever eaten in my life. But it's so fatty, like it's so fat, it's like so high calorie um, that you when you like leave it for a bit, you get like a film of oil on the top of it. But it's so good. There's there's nothing quite like a morale builder like that when yeah. you're feeling like absolute shit. And you get something delicious like that. Yeah. And there's these little plants called whiteies that look kind of like runner beans, like green beans, but big. And then you like open them up and there's like a white fleshed seed inside um, that's really tasty. It's kind of like, it tastes kind of like weirdly like sweets. So um, is it a snack kind of thing? Yeah, Slow. like in the jungle. Yeah, just little things. you like. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. While we're on food, my my girlfriend's from Ukraine and she's got, like, her parents sent her a parcel and they sent her some snacks. And I just asked if you guys could try one. Are you, you said you're not vegan, but are you vegetarian? No, I'm I'm flexy. So, are you, would you want to try something? I've always something? said I'll try anything once. I think I've mentioned it to you, but I'm not sure you've tried it. So I'll give it a go. All right, let's give this a go. There's a thing that we were meant to try in Kyrgyzstan, which is, um, which is, um... Do you want to uh, go for that first? I want to uh, watch your no. experience first. Oh, you can't. <laughs> Let's do it together. Right. <laughs> right. If you guess what this is, I'll be very impressed. Is it meant to be delicious? It's not okay. bad. Do you know what this looks like? Have you ever <laughs> seen the movie Snowpiercer? Yes. Yes, uh, yes this you're right. It looks like the little blocks of <laughs> insect stuff that they give the... the People I think that might be train. a safe bet there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by what right. Ed just did. Okay. Oh, bugger. Oh, no. It looks like one. you can have that one. Thank you. Are we gonna have to guess what it is? All right. So if just if you describe it, though, it's like um, it looks like a little square of saurine mixed with chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, it's something you'd want to be chocolate, but definitely isn't. Definitely isn't. No. Oh, it's like quite nice. Hmm. I'm really scared about what you're gonna tell me it is. It tastes a bit like fudge. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's almost like a licorice fudge. It's really good. I'm going to go for yeah, a second piece. It's really nice. It's insects, isn't it? What is it? It's not insects. Um, so <laughs> it's feces. It's feces. <laughs> <laughs> It's jaguar. <laughs> no, it's um, it's feces, isn't it? It's um, it's it's like monkey shit. <laughs> in in, in uh, wait, former Soviet Union countries. Oh, I thought you were about covenant. to say it is shit. You're like, no, oh, you got it. it it's not shit. Um, it's just cow blood and sugar. Oh wow! <laughs> not sure how I feel about that now. It wasn't. <laughs> <obvious. gasps> and you're fine with shit. Like, <laughs> you I wanted me shit. to say it, it was that's shit. cow blood. Yeah, but I should have said I don't eat beef. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's like um, I mean. That's cow like blood. Blood sausage that exists, but obviously it's not cow, but yeah. Oh. And you it's get made that, the you... aftertaste way worse. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was fine. Something... <laughs> I ate two of them as well. Oh. Mm, they get, they, okay. You can buy that in pharmacies mm. for kids, apparently. It's just like to, it's not necessarily seen as a snack. They have it as a snack, but it's Was it for like iron? Yeah, that, that sort of stuff, yeah. Just like a supplement. Oh. oh, I feel weird. Well, yeah, I feel that's I'm something sorry weird. I've climbed inside me and done something dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want. To... Oh no! Uh. I, I, when I yeah, now the aftertaste is pennies, and I've <laughs> realised that I've eaten five just drunk blood. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's something wrong about the the fact that it's sweet. That's that's but where... there's sugar in it. So it's not literally carbonated and sugar. So is that all it is? Well, I'm sure there's more like e numbers and stuff. But... <laughs> 
Oh, what's creepy is the packaging is this little yeah, girl sat with some balloons on the floor. It's like, that's quite a creepy little Yeah, you would never guess you... what it is. She doesn't look happy either. No, she looks really worried. She's a very concerned looking girl. Is the balloon tied to her foot? <laughs> it is. Oh, that's, yeah, this is a... Thanks, Ed. Yeah, well, thanks so much I'm for sorry that wonderful you, experience. I'm sorry. Traumatise you there I thought you know After eating tape here You'd be fine with a bit of what blood What experience I'm having On this podcast then <laughs> Like wow Welcome to so Im- It's so immersive <laughs> <laughs> So are you going to reassess Your uh, worst meal then um, Yeah well I'm, I've not eaten The rest of it no, But it- I will say That they're in Kyrgyzstan And I didn't eat one of these Because uh, I didn't see uh, The value at the time um, Maybe in the future But Becca did Is a gobstopper That they love in Kyrgyzstan Which is just fermented horse milk um, oh yeah, and Becca just chewed it right up. She went <laughs> the, the chalky, yeah, chalky uh, ball. Yeah, yeah, I've eaten that. I, I didn't have it, but I've seen. They, it. they serve it with a thing in Mongolia called borsak. What's that? Which is like little. They almost look like profiteroles, but they're just little dry pieces of bread. So oh. it's dry bread mixed with, and you got a salty milk chai, and then chalky. Oh yeah, salty I will say like chai. yeah, I love really like interesting. I love trying like food all over the world and when it's something's weird like that for example it was really weird I probably wouldn't have been like oh I'll have this sweet blood please oh what's this oh yes I'll have the hard sweet dry blood um, probably wouldn't ask for that um, uh, thanks again but like weirdly not that bad so like sometimes you can try these things and they seem really weird like I've heard tarantula abdomens are quite tasty but like in Kyrgyzstan unfortunately I will say that like the food's pretty awful. Mm. It's pretty just generally awful. And um, it's like, yeah, real gross. And when you walked into the market, you know, when you go into like Southeast Asian markets and you get these oh, hit the by like weird smells, kind of horrible smells, really good smells. And you see all the colors and amazing things. And in there, there's some street food that's really delicious. In the in the Kyrgyz market, it's um, it's a cold, kind of dampish, um, uh, <laughs> sad, sad market. That's not, not many colors. From a, from a market. piles of these, like piles. And piles of the fermented horse milk uh, gobstoppers of different sizes <laughs> and like stages of, of rot. And it's just not the one. It's not the one. Mm. They love it. Great. It's very goaty yeah. food. Very goaty. Central Asia, like doing the Mongol Valley, like the, it wasn't a, like a good trip for food. Yeah, no. That being said, Bishkek, capital of Kyrgyzstan, a lot of really good restaurants. But really? just not Kyrgyz food. Like, I mean, there there are some really nice Kyrgyz places, obviously. But I mean, we we were, the places they told us to go. They were like, oh, go to Cafe du Paris. Um, <laughs> they do the best croissants. <laughs> and then like Steak Shack, and we're like, all right, Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> I know why you've picked all these other foods because you don't want to drink horse milk. <laughs> Makes sense. But horse milk from, is awful. Apart from Bishkek, like Kyrgyzstan is actually incredible. Like, oh, if, the, if you don't look at just the leopards and stuff, it's an amazing country to go. And if you ignore the food, you should go. Like, oh it's no, incredible. it's one of the best places I've ever been in my oh, life. Yeah, it's one of my favorite countries. Driving ever. through the country and like seeing them play Kopparu on the side of the road, which is this horse wrestling game. It's the national sport of Kyrgyzstan where they pull each other off horses and they have to grab a, a dead goat, I think it is, oh. or sheep, a dead goat or sheep, and they have to like is it, carry it around and is it a bit like it. polo yeah it's yeah, like yeah yeah, we, yeah dead goat polo <laughs> no it, that's what it is is dead goat polo i'd love to watch and that. they can people die on it and and it's really like they like the ramming horses against each other it's amazing to it sounds watch. a bit dangerous to be fair mm. i'm not surprised people die yeah but terrifying mm. but really cool 
And you're going to be going back there regularly. You not, think? not, not to, not to play copper. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 and I'm entering the copper room <laughs> final. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I, I want to. I'm going back to overwinter in Kyrgyzstan in January. So I'm, I'm going to. My plan is at the moment to spend a really long time. The first time I'll spend a really long time out there in the mountains, uh, to, hoping to film some really interesting new behaviours. Because uh, pe- people just don't go out there at that time of year. But it's the best time to see and film snow leopards. So. Fingers crossed. Why is that? It's cold. It's cold. Minus 40. Right. Dangerous. There's no way you can get a car out there. So it's all horse, all horseback. Why are you? Oh, are you just going to be riding horses? Yeah. Like minus well, 20? I'm going to leave the stuff out there in October. I'm talking to the team now. And then I'll go out by like do the mountain pass on a horse with a few people and just stay out in the mountains. Are you involved much with uh, the trip that Chris runs? His one in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. I've done it with him, which was amazing. We filmed some stuff out there. Well, I'm not in, directly involved yeah. in that one, but I mean, I want to go again every mm. time. I think it's wicked that they're doing that. It's so cool. I think it's really great for local communities for more operators to be doing that sort of stuff to like bring new forms of like ecotourism into country. Like it's awesome because it brings in a lot of money and mm. it can bring in a lot of infrastructure that helps protect environments. I think it's the best way of conserving places. Mm. It's way better than hunting. And there's a there's a big hunting culture in Kyrgyzstan and people come in to kill species but like what would be better is if there was no need for that and we just take pictures of the animals and they get to live by the way I really taste pennies now like you've really that, I just, I that just is the meat yeah it's like mouth. now I'm just like I'm so aware that you just made me like eat eat sugary blood but if I told you do you I want to try this new thing nibble oh. yeah but yeah but I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have gone to town too, yeah. yeah did you enjoy it though until I told you. Yeah. We were, we were that, both, yeah, is, this is all right. And then <sighs> it was the It's a bit creepy. Yeah. It's a bit creepy. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, don't worry. I'm glad I did it. I can now tell when they go, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? I'll be like, sugary blood from now. <laughs> oh, where was that? <laughs> uh, in, in Bristol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's> on. <laughs> Horrible. Um, we've got a listener question that I remember. You can read it out, but it's the one about like how you prepare for it. Oh, like yeah. That. So you're about to go to, well, about to, in the, in the winter, you're going to go to Kyrgyzstan in the middle of winter on a horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you prepare yourself mentally and physically for the challenges of filming in remote and sometimes dangerous locations? And that comes from Pavan in London. Mm. Well, I would say to Pavan that I probably am more afraid when I'm in London. Um, uh, <laughs> he's coming for you <laughs> um, no I, I I think it's all about preparation it's making sure that you have the right things and also the right collaborative team around you of local people because really like when you see people doing these things there's always local people around them that are facilitating it making it possible and uh, like in, in the Kyrgyzstan trip that I've got I'm going out there with the local rangers the Snow Leopard Trust rangers the Snow Leopard Trust team and I will be like with them and I'll be like making sure that I'm doing things under their safety rules like, I'm not going to say anything and do, I'm not going to do anything that like they tell me not to do in the name of getting good content or or like having an adventure in the amazon where i'm much more comfortable i i'm not afraid of the amazon really at all you have to be a bit wary of things make sure that you like do the really standard things that 
uh, avoid the most common deaths, which is uh, check trees before you set your hammock so that you look up and you're, there's no dying logs uh, suspended in like vines at the top because tree falls one of the major causes of death in the jungle. Make sure that you're raking the area that you set your camp with all the leaves to get rid of any snakes that are hiding there and put a tarp down as your floor so that you can see what's there because that's a really important way to make sure that you've got one spot that's um, safe. And a snake is unlikely to want to go onto a tarpaulin to sit because it's not its snap. It's just not where it would go. So they avoid those places as well. And obviously emptying and shaking your feet, your shoes every time you put your shoes on before you go out into the jungle and never walk barefoot anywhere. Make sure you make a proper latrine with a stick across it so that you're not ducking down, taking your pants down and ducking in a place where a snake could get you. Uh, wearing the right clothing, taking anti-malarials and uh, not being stupid and not trying to be some sort of gung-ho hero where you are not. Uh, mm. because even the most experienced guides and uh, lifelong livers uh, like rainforest inhabitants the indigenous people would rarely ever do anything alone without an extreme plan in place mm. have you had any really close calls uh, close calls type situations while i got been really away? close to standing on a third lance um re a really aggressive third lance that crossed my path and then started like at me um, in the jungle. That was quite scary. But really, not really, no. I wouldn't say I've ever been that terrified for my life. I nearly fell off a cliff in Kyrgyzstan though, um, which was quite scary. I went up a mountain to follow um, the snow leopard that we just filmed. I went round to see if I can climb the mountain. It was up to get closer to it. And um, I was being so excited about doing it and climbing up and climbing up. And I turned and on one side, very slippy side, was just a sheer drop to my absolute death. <laughs> Fair enough. and i was like oh, oh, and then came back but no i never i'm I'm not i try not to be stupid like i i don't i think it's when people say like yeah i had this i was doing this thing and i it was so close to death i try to avoid it things. kind of shows lack of awareness yes really, i'm like i'm it? just trying to avoid it <laughs> yeah lack of common sense yeah. like the jungle's not a dangerous place it's not the only time i've ever felt really genuinely scared for my life has been with people and because of the, I'm guessing in the Philippines, the people... That was a bit worrisome, yeah. but largely fine. I had a situation in Guyana where there was a, a, a quite a homophobic interaction with somebody who, um, and I was in a place where I couldn't get help. And uh, I just had to lie and make up that I, someone had mentioned something on, on a project I was on that I knew from the UK who knew I was gay and made a comment that then somebody had a look and they were like, what? And then he grilled me about... He was like, oh, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a wife? And I was like, yes, I do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> we're not married yet, but we're getting married. And uh, I, I turned my childhood best friend, Ma, Mariana, into my future wife. Um, so That's I had a great backstory. I had great backstory. Mm. Does she know? <laughs> oh, yeah, she knows. Okay. We've done that. She's. <laughs> I've been her boyfriend when she's been in dangerous situations. She's been my girlfriend. That's my, she's my ride or die beard. <laughs> <laughs> We're, like we were talking about your mentality about going into it. I'm guessing because you do it so regularly now, the anxiety, is it more excitement as opposed to fear when you're going in mm. on one of these trips now? Yeah, I don't really get scared. I get like situationally scared, like when I see bugs and I go, because like spiders kind of freak me out. Like, um, oh, they still freak you out. Oh even yeah, oh yeah. Like yeah. I evolved properly. Like spiders are all venomous. Where are we? Were not meant to touch them. Like our evolutionary history was like spider form. Leave it alone. Snake form. Don't touch it. But then we've gone around that and we've gone like, no, I'm going to battle it anyway. Uh, whereas I just think if you're a bit afraid of spiders, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, evolution. Like, yeah, it's, it's like we have literally evolved 
to avoid certain things. But yeah, so I get a little bit freaked out when handling them because it obviously goes against my like every nature. But I don't get scared, I get super excited. Mm. Can't wait to go to Honduras, can't wait. I love the adventure. I love the reset that you get when you go on an adventure like that. I love the fact that you feel like you, uh, 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 the rest of the world doesn't matter. You don't feel like you're missing out because you're doing this amazing thing. It clears your mind. If you don't have access to your phone, like who cares? You don't care at all a rat's ass about Instagram, any of that stuff. I think it's so valuable. Yeah, I mean, because obviously you you essentially sell yourself through Instagram. You're promoting you, yourself yeah, as a brand. It must be so nice to be able to switch off. I love it. From doing that. It's my favorite thing about expeditions. It's just not like just being able to be like, bye. I would say I'm an extroverted introvert. When I talk about like not liking to be around people, People are like, but you're like such an extrovert and you, and you love it. You're always on. But I just have to recharge sometimes. And like, I find it very dif- difficult to be in like very long, prolonged social situations. So sometimes when you're just out in the jungle with like a very small group of people and you just, nothing really matters except your day-to-day tasks. It's so like nice. It's so nice. I'm guessing a lot of the people you use or work with now out in Guyana, you've worked with repeatedly yeah well you guys must have had that on productions where there's like teams that you love to work with in the past Um, there's always the same people like with the mongol rally stuff i'd be going back to the same place every year and it was always like these two or three people that you could really rely on Mm. and it just gets fun you want to go and see those people it's just like mates yeah i want to go and see that and lots of the people that i work with in guyana either haven't ever left guyana or just never would never come here so it's cool to to be able to go across and hang out and also do it on an adventure. I was thinking when you were talking about like you're working with like rangers in Kyrgyzstan and stuff like that. Obviously, there is a for them it can be quite useful and bring bring some money in as well. But how do they feel about foreigners telling their stories, as in coming over and filming almost for them? I think that's well, that's a, ma- a big thing. I think there is a there is a rightful shift in the like that kind of white saviour thing of, like, somebody coming across and, like, especially in the past where, like, productions have literally come across and they've said that their presenter has discovered something or done something for the first time where it's actually just false. They haven't been the first people to discover this thing or local researchers have done it before um, or they say that they're the first people to go up this river in the Amazon, which, of course, is complete bullshit because indigenous people have been living in the Amazon for 11,000 years. So it's very likely that it's been done many, many times and people live very, very well at that river. So I think it is cool and it's still valuable to go there because whether it's as a presenter who has a certain ability in communicating messages that's valuable whereas that might not be as engaging with someone who's not trained in that um, there is a value in it but it's also about making sure that those stories are telling the local people's story so like with our Snowdopper project like I'm on camera but like I'm I'm only the vector for other people's stories like I'm not being the person saving the world and snow leopards I'm working alongside these snow leopard experts snow rangers these amazing local people and telling their story and i think that's what i like to do anyway it's go and work with local people and i have an interest in the subject but these are the real heroes and they're helping me realize this dream of seeing something in the wild and then through their incredible work we're showcasing the conservation strategies and initiatives saving the species finding it in the wild and that's i'm a vector i think i like i think there's a value in being the vector of a story especially bringing it back to an audience who can relate to you because you are having an experience that they might feel something um, about, you know, if you th- and that's valuable as well because you, you, we're telling stories for our audiences, for local for audiences around the world. So there's value in it. It's uh, the issue is it's when you start saying 
I'm going to do this thing for the first time or I'm going to go and discover this when actually the only reason you're going there is because people have been studying this thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've the only reason you know it's there. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's because there's local people who know it's there and you've just got to be authentic about it. Like, I think, yeah, just being authentic. But there's something, but there's something amazing about watching someone going through a journey. And, and that, learning. I think mm. watching someone learn yeah. is actually one of the best ways to learn yourself. Mm rather than being taught and talked to on camera, like someone just tells you, oh, this is a tapir. It tastes really good. <laughs> or seeing oh, someone no. eating a tapir. I'm not really tapir eating it. guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the name of the episode. Oh God, dude eats tapir. <laughs> it was an accident and they had the quota. It was legal. If it makes you feel any better, I ate a uh, horse penis once. A slice Ooh. of horse penis. A slice? Oh, yeah. it's like a sausage. Perfectly penis. round. A cross section of horse knob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. That's real. Tough. Oh. It's tough. I don't want to like keep going with the tapir thing. <laughs> <laughs> when you were having food in the jungle, yeah. because obviously you were there for a while in the jungle, mm-hmm. you mentioned Neville, who was the yeah. hunter slash cook. Oh, no, Neville. Neville's like a, um, he's a multi-skilled, multi-hyphenate ranger that can do um, loads right. of different things. Uh, he's from the Rewa community. So at the bottom, at the base of the Rewa River, before you go up to the remote areas, he lives in that community. But he's just an amazing guy. He does loads of different things. But so when he's we're like on a, a leatherman of a human. Yeah, yeah, literally. But when, I mean, he he doesn't obviously like, he's a guide and does lots of these sorts of things, but he does loads of things at home mm-hmm. as well that are different. But when we're on these trips, he's just the best bowman. He is really, really good at it. So who cooks the stuff? Uh, Joyce, when we went out, uh, was one of our cooks. But Josie, he did the cooking on another one. It's just dependent okay. on who's available, who wants to come. Um, but it's a local um, yeah, uh, person who knows how yeah, to deal with the indigenous like communities. jungle food. Yeah, so Josie's really good at making like barbecue which is like the barbecue in the jungle uh, and you make a bunch of <laughs> you, barbecue um, and uh, we'll catch like different sorts of fish so we'll bow fish for um, for paku which is a relative of the piranha vegetarian relative of the piranha really fatty absolutely the most delicious fish I've ever eaten in my life and you just cook that on an open fire um, uh, it's really good and then there's different ways of cooking different fish where it's pretty much fish breakfast lunch and dinner because that's what you catch out there and there isn't that's something else. I've never done like uh, being completely reliant on my environment to eat. Mm. It's yeah, great though. Do, but that's crazy. Like nowadays you wouldn't, even when you do a big trip or like an overlanding trip, when you go across half the world, like you're not going to do that. No. Because everywhere you go, you'll be able to even buy just a can of vegetables. And yeah. then have it cold if you need mm. to. Well, but. it's really weird because we rely on money, right? And then people are divided by their ability to pay for things and how much money they've got and their privilege of whether they come from money or, or don't. Whereas when you go to these communities in the Amazon, it's how good are you with the bow? Um, <laughs> like, and, but, but, but that's like really great. And I love that because it's such a, it's just, and that's where the respect comes from. And, and I'm, I think it's like sad that that's, that's like dying in parts of the world because it's really, it's like really cool. And everyone's like got their skill and everyone's good at something and there's no, and it's just really awesome. It's cool, like not having food and being like, because oh, you'd have to plan it into your day as well as yeah. your boat up the portages. Yeah, That'd and you be... plan your day. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason you would ever do that. Like mm. with the amount of waste and mess you'd have to carry all the way back down again with you. It's just ridiculous. Mm. So it's so much more economical, better for the environment to like live sustainably through the things that are available from the forest. And um, it's just really cool being able to like 
to go, oh, we, we need to like factor in time to go and catch food for, for lunch because otherwise we won't eat lunch. And it's, no, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, there's, yeah exactly. Corner. And it's like you see a Brazil nut tree and you're like, oh, there's a Brazil nut tree. We should probably go and get some Brazil nuts from underneath the tree. And that's like factored into your brain. It's like, it's cool. It's a really nice way to live. It's like a foraging mindset. Yeah, I guess yeah. you get really into it. It's fun. Plus, like, I suppose if you know what you're doing, you actually don't worry about it either. You know, you know you're going to find food. Yeah, right? yeah. Especially when you're with these guys who like they live in the forest, they know the forest. And I think I've done it enough times in Guyana now that I could, I, I know I could do my own solo one now. That's what I was going to ask. I was yeah. like, do you think you'd oh. be able to manage with forage? And I'm planning one. Really? Yeah. Wow. How are you as a bowman then? Um, not great. <laughs> I'm okay. No, I, I, I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. I mean, it's. But you don't just use the bow. You can mm. fish with twine as well. But you would need the bow. There's lots of things you have to put in place because mm. it's very dangerous. Like the jungle is really unforgiving. It's a very dangerous place and something going wrong. When you're in a group, it's manageable. But when you're on your own, it can be really bad. Mm. So I'm 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 planning it now. So why do you want to do it? Just because of the thrill or because... For mo- loads of reasons, like to prove to people that I can do these things. You know, I've lived my whole life, people thinking I can't do certain things. Even in this industry, I've had situations where people don't think that I'm the typical explorer um, or like are capable. They're surprised when I do certain things. And I think that inherently comes with who I am, not what I am. And so for me, it's a big challenge thing like that. If I can go up there and survive for, say, six weeks on my own in the jungle, which I know I, I, know I can do it. Six weeks. Wow, yeah. that's a long time then um, I, I want to go up there. I want to be co- completely alone as that challenge, not just to people, but to myself to prove that I can do that for me. And I want to bring my cameras and I want to film um, behavior up there that I would only be able to get on my own. Because I, I believe that no matter what expeditions and how far remote we go, when we're a group of seven, we're causing a disturbance that one animal does just doesn't cause. And that's why I want to do it because yeah, I sure. know I can do it. My like, set of skills is a bit broad in that way and I, I have it's kind of I guess in a, in a way kind of unique in the science filmmaking and ex- expedition background that I could probably do it and there's a few things that I would like to film up there but obviously I'm not going to do it without like having a proper this is again what going back to the tv thing we were talking about before 25 million like, you I want I want I want to either a brand or a production to do it with so that I can you know have a satellite thing to make sure I'm making regular updates of my location mm. and that if I don't put it up by this point in the day I'm not going to die <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yes. a, million, a million and one things could happen I could get bitten by a snake and I just want to make sure that everything's in place what would your key items be that, like that you would take stranded on one island you can bring a suitcase with five things <laughs> <laughs> I would say what what's gonna stop you from going insane because six weeks alone as well yeah I quite like being alone. Oh, I love it, but... I, like, actually love it. Like, I really like being alone. And I'm so enthralled by everything around me that it's, like... I think I would get a bit scared, though. Mm. Like, it is quite spooky, and it's quite scary, and if things go wrong, you get panicked really easily, and I worry about that. Mm. Um, that I would have... You'd have there's the, the mental, like, training that you'd have to do to, like, go, okay, it's not going well. I am alone, but I can manage it. I worry about that. But what would I bring with you? A t- tarp? A Hennessy hammock, really good quality Hennessy hammock that has an impregnated mosquito net as well as a basher to stop rainfall. Two machetes in case something happens to the first. Um, uh, Lots of fishing twine and hooks. I'd probably bring a massive bag of farine, which is like a cassava-based like stuff that you can eat. It's like carb, um, just in case something goes wrong and I don't have uh, access to it. I would bring a little... I'd probably try to do my own making fires and stuff. 
Um, but I'd bring a little pot to make fire, just like a little um, stove, just in case. Yeah. But I don't know. There's lots of things you have to think about. And a canoe. Canoe probably. would work. Yeah. It's all up the river. There's probably something really, really, really... Comfort or entertainment or a anything. A chair. A fold-out chair. Yeah. Never underestimate the value of a, a fold-out chair. And entertainment. Yeah. What a hard you... drive with movies on it. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. I know that that's probably people are like, oh, but that's all the jungle. I'm like, mate. <laughs> you <laughs> Six weeks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, books, books. How do you charge stuff? Audiobook. Audiobooks. I bring loads of audiobooks. Podcasts. Yeah, I bring this podcast. <laughs> Every episode ever recorded. All 69 of them. Oh, no, this is 70 now. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. How do you charge your stuff? Generator. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've got. Oh, I wanted to talk to you about thylacines. Oh, yeah, tell me. Do you think there's a possibility that they're still around? No. No? Absolutely zero. I think someone did an estimate. It was like one in like three trillion or something. Oh, okay. Um, uh, no, they're not. They're, they're not. And you would bring that back over most other... Yeah, I, really, yeah. I think about it a lot. I think about that clip a lot. Um, the one of it wandering around. It's really sad, it just make, it's, uh, It hits me in a really weird place. It's just like, really makes me a mixture between kind of like a bit angry and sad yeah. and yearning because I want to see it so much alive. And it's such an amazing animal. Like, there's nothing else like it. It's in the, And I think there's something about the fact that, like, if there was a wolf relative that's gone extinct, you know, that you could theoretically get, sequence the genome, do something, make a, a make a set. You could, you know, create a, a version of it by breeding with a wolf today, doing something, mm. the, the way they're looking at the extinction of things like mammoths. But there's no similar, there's nothing related. There's nothing related, close enough related to that animal to do that. So it's like it, looking at that clip, which was filmed by a person on a camera, like how I film animals. I think it's partly because it's a film, like a thing that I love, like filming an animal um, that's just never, ever going to happen ever again. It's completely impossible and it's gone. It's completely gone. And it's such an image of extinction that mm. for me because it's there. It was there. We filmed it. People filmed it. We filmed it like and like and not that long ago. When, when did they there go There are extinct? people alive today that were alive at the same time as that animal. 1936. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy. So I'd bring that back and then I'd be like, stop killing it. I'd probably bring two of them so they can have sex. And do you have a favorite cryptid or favorite <laughs> creature of the forest that you've been informed of by locals? Ooh. So there's this animal in Guyana that my friend Shannon, an indigenous kid who I work with loads, amazing filmmaker, he swears he's seen it. It's, it's like folklore in Guyana. I can't remember the name of it, but it's got a local name. And it's like a goat thing. It's like a goat creature. Like a rel It looks a bit goaty, um, but it's tall and strange and looks like a goat, but it's not a goat. And, and there are loads of examples of people seeing it. And Shannon, who is a very trustworthy person. You know, you know those people who don't lie? They just don't lie. He's one of those people. And he's like, I've, I saw it. He was like, it came out on a sandbank and went back in. And I saw it and that he swears down that that animal exists. And there's loads of myths and legends about it in Guyana. But it was the fact that when he said it, I, made it um, real. Section that Tom normally does is when we go to a country, he finds his favorite cryptid. And a lot of them are goat like in their head. And then it's like a goat with the body of a snake yeah. or something else along yeah. those lines. Jumbies. 
the Jumbies. Jumbies. Yeah, the Jumbies of the West Indies. The world of Caribbean folklore is filled with tales of creatures that lurk in the shadows, waiting to wreak havoc and make mischief. This is These way creatures than Tom. are known yeah. as Jumbies. They manifest in all shapes and forms. The law surrounding each Jumbie is influenced by the mythologies of African, indigenous, and Indian cultures and varies across the West Indies as they are passed down from generation to generation. It freaks me out that Shannon's like, I've seen that. I, I saw it. it. I seen it. But yeah, no, really, really creepy and really interesting. There's a specific Guyana one here. The Chur... The Chur... Churil... Churili originates from Indian folklore in the Caribbean. Um, said to be the spirit of a woman who died in childbirth. This one lives in Guyana, apparently. Ooh. But yeah, I mean, this goat thing that uh, that he talks about, uh, multiple people have said that it's there. Is it the Jumbie? I think it's got another name. It's not necessarily a mythical creature. It's like a... It is. Does it have a story around it, well, do you know of? I don't know what the story of it is, but I know that it's a mythical creature that people say is real. Like, that it's a real animal. And, and, and some scientists think that it might be real. And uh, imagine if it was. I mean, the Amazon's pretty big. And any time you go to these really remote places, people find species. There must be a spot that's so remote in the, remote, in the far Amazon that there's an endemic species, whether it's been separated by a river, uh, by something, or a population. Because, you know, there are parts of the planet where there are very small areas where an animal lives and it doesn't live anywhere else, like the Komodo dragon, for example. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, mm. There could be something similar, whether it's a sinkhole in a Tapui-like system uh, where there is something that doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah, it's got I, to heard, be. I heard a guy talk... I can't remember what podcast it was on. I heard a guy talking about... Uh, there is a part in, uh, a place in the Amazon that barely anyone has ever been to or investigated that he's like, if any, if they've still got giant sloths anywhere, it's there. <laughs> I love that it's giant sloths <laughs> giant that he went sloth. to. Yeah, yeah. But there, there, it's really interesting. I, I mean, it's unlikely. The thing is, it is unlikely. Oh, yeah. Because there's dispersal and like it's unlikely with like in the way that the forest ecosystem works that like something would persist for such a long period of time without any variation in its habitat unless it's something that's like separated out like a from a barrier so if it was an island in a very wide part of a river but then river systems are typically gone traveled loads so it's unlikely that that would happen there could be something though there's got to be something out there oh i love it there's something I out love there. it. All right, I think we've nabbed enough of your time. Yeah. <laughs> on that note. On that note, um, thank you very much for coming. Yeah. Thank you for having much. me. I've had an amazing time. It's been a pleasure. Good to put a face to a name. Yes. And um, Until next time. Until next time. Is there anything you want people to follow? Oh, I, we kind of ran through it at the end of the yeah, last episode. Um, yeah, follow my adventures on social media, Dan O'Wild. And um, that's about it. Excellent. I'll be sharing lots of fun content from Honduras. So um, if you want to see me catching birds and finding animals and sharing about them, I'll be with lots of these parasites and interesting animals in situ. Um, so you can have a look at that. I wish you the best with the botflies. Oh, thanks. Fingers I crossed. hope to God that I get one. Pray for him, everyone. <laughs> They're there. They live there. And it's the wet season, perfect time of year. <laughs> I really hope it, it happens, and I hope it's not too painful. But um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you, and thank you for the traumatized you. Yeah, thanks for the sweet blood. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. See you next week, everyone. See you Bye. next week. Bye. <laughs> 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.